From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And with Congress still in recess, we thought we would revisit a podcast that first aired in June about a push for tax cuts that House Democrats are likely to pursue this fall. Before the summer recess, the House Ways and Means Committee had approved some major tax breaks for lower-income workers and various business interests. But most of the tax cuts aren't paid for, so they would just increase the deficit. And Democrats will be looking for ways to pay for the tax breaks as they prepare to push the measure to the House floor this fall. So here, once again, is our June 24 podcast with Doug Sword, who covers tax policy for CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Doug. Hi, David. So last week, the House Ways and Means Committee approved some major tax breaks for lower-income workers and families and various business interests. But most of the tax breaks aren't paid for, so they would just increase the deficit. And that triggered some concerns not only from Republicans, but even from a few members of the Democratic majority. So, Doug, walk us through what's in this package and, and what's the price tag that we're talking about? Well, if you add the whole thing together, it's about $174 billion. David, it basically divides into two bills here. There's a a great big bill that's largely for poorer people, uh, although there are some middle-income tax breaks in there, too. And then the second bill is a very corporate tax extender bill that has more bipartisan support. Uh, I'll start with the first one, which is uh, House Ways and Means Chairman uh, Richie Neal. It's, it's, it's his bill. Uh, total cost on that bill is about $130 billion. And he calls it the, the biggest anti-poverty tax measure in over a decade. And what's it do? The single biggest feature in it is making the, uh, uh, the child tax credit uh, fully refundable for two years. This is just a two-year bill. It's not a 10-year bill like most of these usually are. It's a two-year bill, and it makes that, that $2,000 child tax credit fully refundable. Currently, if you don't owe $2,000 on your tax bill or, social, or your payroll taxes, uh, you don't get all that money back. You only get the credit for what you owe in taxes. Right. And so there's a lot of people in the bottom, uh, the bottom 20% of earners who have a child, and they don't get that full credit. This would give every, all of those people $2,000, no matter what, how much tax right. they owe. And, Obviously, and what higher earners get the full $2,000. This would extend this make it fully refundable uh, uh, to lower income earners. Right. And that's the biggest single part of the package. It's, again, $50 billion. Uh, the second biggest part would be uh, they're making the earned income tax credit or really expanding it for people who don't have children. Uh, the earned income tax credit was created back in the 70s as a work incentive. Uh, you only got the tax credit if you had income, but low-income people wouldn't have to pay any taxes uh, up to a certain point. That was entirely for people with children. Uh, that's who got the earned income tax credit at first. In the 90s, it was, it was expanded a little to people who don't have children. Current law, it's a maximum $529 uh, benefit, uh, not much compared to the full, uh, the full credit that, that uh, people with children have. Uh, under Neil's bill, that would be almost tripled. And it would also be extended to the territories uh, at about, a, I think it's about a $7 billion cost, and, and most of that is Puerto Rico. Okay. And I think we have uh, Richard Neal uh, talking about his bill on this and what it would do. Let's play a little of that. In 2017, the Republicans passed a tax law that aided corporations and high-income individuals that really offered little support for less prosperous Americans. Today, we will take steps to rectify many of those misguided choices. 
This legislation expands the earned income tax credit, which Ronald Reagan highlighted as an opportunity to come to the assistance of low-income Americans. In addition, childless workers, we expand refundability of the child tax credit so that more low-income families can benefit and extends pro the program to cover qualifying families in Puerto Rico. Okay, so that's one piece of this of this package. Now tell us about that other piece. And the second one is it's generally known as the tax extenders package. Uh, at the end of 2017, there were, I believe, 26 tax breaks, largely to energy uh, for energy uh, businesses uh, that expired. And then at the end of 2018, there were another, I believe, four. Anyway, there's been a lot of pressure to bring those back, particularly like uh, the biodiesel industry has been lobbying very heavily on this. Uh, this credit's worth about $3 billion a year to them. It expired at the end of 2017, and so there is a three-year extension, retroactive, and then going through 2020 for them, so they get $9 billion out of this bill alone. Okay, and, and unlike uh, Richard Neal's bill for the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit, these big-ticket items, these extensions for businesses are mostly paid for, right? They're entirely paid for if you, um, uh, the way the Democrats are measuring it. Uh, if you add all these extenders together, and there's over 30 of them, the cost of them is about $33 billion over 10 years. Again, it, they do the estimate over 10 years. This is largely over the next couple of years yeah. is what this cost is. And how do they pay for them? If you remember in the 2017 uh, uh, tax bill, there was a doubling of the exemption on the estate and gift tax. Uh, before, if you earned 5.5 million, uh, yeah, the first 5.5 million in your estate, you didn't have to pay for it when your parent died. Right. Uh, they doubled that to 11 million uh, uh, through the end of 2025. This bill would sunset that at the end of 2022, so three years early. And by doing that, they, um, they saved $38 billion. Okay, so I mean, that piece is paid for. Yes. So the extenders is paid for, but then at the end of this is a $9 billion uh, disaster uh, tax relief uh, package. It's a tax credit for businesses who retain employees during a disaster. They keep paying them. You, you get a 40% you get a, mm -hmm. you, you credit on, on what you pay your employees. Uh, if, you, if your home is wrecked, uh, you can take up to $100,000 out of your retirement fund without paying the 10% uh, penalty fee, and then you can put it back in later. And all these, all these tax relief, disaster tax relief uh, benefits add up to about $9 billion. So th this, this package still doesn't pay for itself. It's still about $4 billion short. Okay. But as the Democrats say, the extenders part pays for itself. Okay. What's the beef Republicans have with this package then? Uh, largely that it's a total of $174 billion and about 22% of that is paid for. And they don't like to pay for it. They, they, they hate the estate and gift tax uh, uh, exemption uh, sunsetting early. So they don't like to pay for it and they don't like the, that the rest of it doesn't pay for itself. And Democrats basically come back with, uh, well, we're paying for, for the business part of it. And you guys didn't pay for your bill back in 2017. And even some of the Democrats didn't like this package, though. Well, and you had there, three no votes. on There were three no votes. Now, now, and they were different kinds of votes, like Ron Kind out of Wisconsin. Uh, he just says it's time that we, we if we're going to make changes, everything has to be paid for. We have a $22 trillion debt, and right. we need to start paying for any changes. Meanwhile, there was Lloyd Doggett out of uh, Texas who, who saw things a lot differently. He likes the package. Uh, he would like to see more of it, and he would like to pay for it with maybe an increase in the corporate income tax rate, which you get about if you remember, the corporate income tax rate went from 35% down to 21% in the bill two years ago. And each one, basically a rule of thumb, each 1% you increase, if you go from 21 to 22, you get $100 billion. 
this package would be paid for by bumping up to 22. And I think we have Lloyd Doggett, a Democrat from Texas, talking about that idea of raising the corporate income tax to pay for this package. Let's play a little of that. And there's some other ones, but I just think it's a mistake to not pay for these provisions that I fully support and probably would do more, but not, not by borrowing money to do it. So, Doug, what's the prospects here of actually raising the corporate income tax rate right now? Well, there's, there's no tax out there with more of a target on its back right now than the corporate income tax. Let's start with the presidential candidates. Uh, Senator Kamala Harris of California would completely repeal the, the, the 35% down to 21%. The corporate tax rate would go back to 35% to pay for her tax plan. Uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota would increase it by 4% to pay for her infrastructure plan. Uh, Senate Democrats have a similar proposal um, uh, to increase by 4%. So a lot of people are talking about raising the corporate rate, but what's the likelihood, Doug, of seeing anything on that this year? Well, I mean, the, the man steering this at the moment, uh, Richard Neal of Massachusetts, chairman of House Ways and Means, has said that uh, at the moment, at least, that the, the corporate income tax increase is not on the table. There are those who think that it has to be, that it's, it's the most logical thing out there, but he has said that a couple of times. And I think the reason he, he's taken that position is that at this moment, it doesn't look like a very politically viable thing to do to go after the corporate tax rate. And you were talking about Republicans, Doug, not liking this. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of complaints from Republicans about the cost of this and the lack of a pay for. Right. And there is an argument here that it's a little hypocritical, right? Because if, if you don't make it on permanent sides. on both sides, but because I mean, if you don't make these permanent, everybody knows they're not suddenly going to increase these taxes, right? Their, ch- their chances are they're going to keep extending them, right? So therefore, the, the long-term cost is actually much greater than what well, this bill is advertised. Kevin Brady, who's a ranking member on House Ways and Means and the former chairman, he um, had pointed out that, yeah, it's a two-year tax package on the, the child tax credit and the earned income tax mm-hmm. credit. But there's very little doubt that once it's on the books, they'll start extending it. Right. And that instead of this being uh, $100 billion or so over two years, it'll be $500 billion or so over 10 years. Yeah, I think we have Kevin Brady, too. Let's play a little of what he had to say on that. What? It appears to us that this is a $100 billion spending spree with just a whole lot of special interest carve-outs. We've been very clear with Democrats when they want to get serious about an extender package with real reforms on it, we are eager to sit down and do that. And Doug, Chairman Neal has said, though, that he wants to find ways to pay for this package. Is that right? Uh, he made a, a promise before, uh, as, as last Thursday's markup started, there, there was uh, some concern from members of, on the Democratic side about this being paid for. You have to realize in January, the House Democrats passed a rule that they would pay for pay-as-you-go budget. Pay yeah. And uh, Neil pointed out that that is a commitment that once it's to the floor, it will be paid for. But that commitment doesn't hold at the committee level. So it's... So he's saying he'll find a way to pay for this package before it reaches the House floor? He committed to that, and that, that appeased uh, at least one member, although I, I talked to Ron Kind about that for Wisconsin, and he was uh, he believes that, that Chairman Neal is sincere, but he also has heard promises of pay-fors before that hadn't materialized. Okay. And so there's no timeline for action on this bill then? The Senate Finance Chairman Charles Grassley talked to reporters last week and was asked about what he thought of uh, the bills because they'd been they'd been floated on Tuesday, and uh, he was basically happy that there was a bill out there because he's had a bill 
in the Senate with, with, with Senate Finance Ranking Member Ron Wyden since February, but it's just sort of an exercise there because all revenue legislation has to start in the House. So right. it's nice that they had a bill, but it didn't mean anything. But he said now he's got a House bill. He's very happy that that's a positive step, even though his phrase was he doesn't like quite a few of the things yeah. in it. But there's not even a, we don't even know when it would reach the House floor. There's going to be a clog with the budget bills and everything, and we don't yeah. even know if it's going to happen before the end of this fiscal year. Okay. So we'll see how far this package gets and when. Meanwhile, we have another busy week on appropriations as Congress scrambles to finish up some major items before the July 4 recess. The House and Senate each plan to take up their own versions of emergency spending for migrants at the U.S. southern border this week. But it's not clear how long it will take to resolve differences between the House and Senate bills. And the House plans to vote on its second batch of fiscal 2020 spending bills this week, amounting to about $322 billion. It also plans to take up the financial services bill and possibly the legislative branch spending bill, which has been bogged down in a fight over whether to allow for the first congressional pay raise in a decade. So there's a lot to keep our eyes on this week, and CQ will be covering it all for you, as always. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email, cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. My thanks again to Doug Sword, our expert tax policy reporter, for joining me. Thanks, Doug. Thanks a lot, David. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate us. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. See you next week.